Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with Abigail Johnson as we run through the men's quarterfinal slate at the Australian Open 2023. Abigail joins us from Melbourne where she's working for AO Radio and Australian Open TV. She is an extremely talented commentator, pundit, very sharp tennis mind, and I uh, think you'll really enjoy this conversation. And by the way, that is a very, very busy gig when you're working for a slam, so I really appreciate her uh, squeezing it in. Without further ado, here's Abigail Johnson. We're joined for the first time by Abigail Johnson. Her commentary has been heard on BT Sport, BBC, ATP TV, or Tennis TV, I should say, and uh, currently AO Radio, Australian Open TV, joining us from Melbourne. Abigail, thanks so much. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a long time of knowing of you, but not guesting yet. So uh, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, very glad we could do it. We miss you in, in the YouTube parts. I know that some other stuff has, has taken priority, but we miss you a lot here on YouTube. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I still feel bad when I, I get messages from people telling me that. And it, look, I, I never consciously retired it. it it was just other things picked up and and took me away from where I was filming and all of that kind of thing so yeah I, I'm yeah ho hopefully people can still listen to me elsewhere I try and make it known when when I'm doing what so that people can tune in if they're if they're missing that a little bit so uh no thanks for that I appreciate it yes uh the plan today is to run through these men's quarterfinals matches but I was really glad to see that yesterday you were on uh Runa versus Rublev for uh, for AO Radio. And I was glad to see that because this is a match that made little sense and I need some help uh, dissecting this. So let's let's start here. What's your take on the quality of that match? Oh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Because um, because in terms of a contest, it, it was epic. I, I was um, shocked, weak, buzzing, everything when I came off calling that match. It's by far the standout of anything that I've covered. Um, in terms of quality, though, uh, I, I think that both players will look back at it as, as a match that they, they could have brought a more consistent level to. That said, I felt like there was a very clear pattern throughout the match, uh, especially throughout the middle portion of Rublev deliberately hunting loose forehand errors from Runa and kind of pressing that side and knowing that they would come because Runa would get too ambitious or he, he just wouldn't be patient enough or wouldn't be consistent enough. And at the same time, Runa was getting a lot of cheap points off the Rublev backhand side going into that quite quickly early in the rallies and uh, just uh, knowing when to approach to that side. And, and it was certainly a battle for me of what would break down first out of the Runa forehand and the Rublev backhand. So that, that was the pattern that I noticed majority of the time throughout the clash which meant that as that was what they were looking for as much as you had some incredible winners there were a lot of a lot of points that were finishing in I guess erratic fashion I felt that Rublev was missing so many second serve returns as, as he looked for depth of shot and, and sometimes as he just kind of struggled to read on the return so I, I felt like that set him back for um, a portion of the match, even right towards the back end of the match, I felt like that was still giving Rublev issues and um, still hurting his mental state as well. Just to, you could tell that he was uh, feeling it inside. So, yeah, I would say, look, it, it not the highest quality match just because of the because of the strategic focus of both players. But at, at the same time, 
I, I went and sat courtside. I started the match on AO Radio and I finished it off. And for the middle portion, I went and sat courtside to get a feel for it. And uh, some of those winners, some of those Runa winners down the line were just insanity. Like he's an incredible athlete. There's no denying it. And that kind of brings me to a little exercise I feel will be informative on this match. So just bear with me here. I'll take it somewhere. Who was hitting the ball harder? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I started off with well, the tough is, one. Just, just power. Because just power. It, it, I, I feel like the consistent rally pace, the two of them were deliberately taking some pace off the ball at times. Uh, and then each of them had something extra in store for example, Runa's forehand winners down the line. Rublev would occasionally come in and step into the court and fire one a bit um, a bit extra. So that, that's a really tough question, you know. In terms of consistently harder, in terms of consistently harder, I, I feel like Rublev initiated some of the pace, but Runa was more than able to go with it because of his timing. That, that was the feeling that I had, that... Yeah, again, I don't think it was a consistent pace from either of them in terms of that that power that came into play at times. That's just the way yeah. I observed it from where yeah. I was. Before the, the tournament, when I picked this match, I, I got it right. I went with Rublev, and it was like, it's not about necessarily the skills or the matchup from a tactical standpoint. It's just Rublev's been to six major quarterfinals. You know you're going to get some level of consistency out of him. You know exactly who he is. Runa's a 19-year-old, top 15 seed at a slam for the very first time. And, you know, hadn't won a match in 2023. And just on the mental side of things, just bringing your best, that's where I'm like, I'm just going to go with Andre, even though I feel like Runa probably has more ways of winning. I did. Isn't that kind of how it played out? 100%. Look, this is where you beat me on this one, because obviously I'm at the event, I'm across a lot of different things. So when it came to a prediction for this one, I went with Runa. And I feel like if I went back, I'd probably do the same thing. But my thought process was, and uh, I think I said this on the mic, there are just more depth of options for Runa in terms of how he's going to last over five sets. And look, I don't regret it necessarily, because I wasn't too far wrong. He served for it. He was yeah. up in the final set tiebreak. He had match points. But it 100%. And I was kicking myself for this because I'm so big on the mentality. I go on and on and on about it until I give myself a headache. But I've not really factored in that, that Runa can, he can get jumpy on court. He can mislead himself anyway. And then when you factor in the stage, for me, that was the only reason he didn't serve out the match. He'd had very little trouble on serve at the, at the back end of that match. The one thing he did supremely I thought throughout was uh, being able to finish off immediately with the forehand behind the serve when a little bit of the return power and precision came off from Rublev if he got inside the court for that he was putting it away there were very very few slip-ups there from Runa and I think the only reason he got broken and broken as quickly as he did was because hey big occasion it, it's different it, it's completely different you can't you can't prepare for that even as someone for someone as talented as Runa um, as capable as him that's a very different mental situation and I, I think and th this is my take on it I think experience run it won it for Rublev not necessarily the experience of having won at this stage before but the experience of having lost matches like that so when he was in losing positions when he was returning to stay in the match when he was down 5-0 and then 7-3 in the tie break it was a case of 
okay, so I've been crushed like this before. What What's the worst that can happen? It'll happen again, but I've been there before. And, and don't get me wrong, when he won, I think you could see exactly how much it meant to him and how much he needed it. But in those moments where he was on the brink, he served impeccably and he got he got loose, not in a bad sense of the word loose, but he just, there, there was this kind of relief and release of tension whereby he was able to produce at his best level again, whereas at times in the match he was getting frustrated and he was getting tighter and, and he didn't have that swing through the ball either on the serve or on the ground strokes. And I think, yeah, I think that experience of losing those kinds of matches, uh, as much as his experience of winning at that stage of a major actually came to his aid there because he was able to relax where maybe Runa couldn't when he was up on the scoreboard. Sure. Yeah, it's it's well said. And to that point, it's almost a Rublev composure win where, and it's not a word you really associate with Rublev. Composure is yeah. not, not the one. But I think that's why after the match, he was almost so proud of himself is because he's like, I, that never happens. Because when he started going downhill and he was in those holes, I thought he stayed, you know, stayed with it pretty well. And and Runa's arm just tightened up. He wasn't the the same aggressive player from up five love in that 10-point tiebreak than he was for the rest of the match. And and Rublev did well to to take advantage of that, come up with his shots with Runa just playing a more passive style. Because th that's another thing. I felt like Runa could make a lot of mistakes with his decision-making, whether it be going after shots that were too ambitious or getting a little pushy. Uh, and it's almost like it was predetermined before the point which way he was going to play. He's so athletic that he can play passively and still win with his court coverage. He's so talented that he can play recklessly and still make the shot. So uh, that was kind of my takeaway that my biggest takeaway. Yes, it could have gone either way, but that Runa, if he just dialed in some of the decision making, he would have been the better player and he would have kind of created some separation. Uh, but it was that was the aspect that was missing. And it kind of reminded me of uh, Alcaraz's loss to Berrettini last year in the third round mm. of the Australian Open. So I, I want to end on this. Runa, I came into the tournament and I was thinking, he's the most confusing player to me. I'm not sure what we're getting here because we have that incredible run indoor hard court and sometimes that can be misleading and the sample size is tiny. How do you feel about Runa, how good he is right now after this Australian Open? Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, because you've got to take so many different components and different factors into consideration. As a talent, as an athlete, as a tennis player, all the tools are there. It is now just a case of managing those tools, obviously sharpening and improving. But it's like you say, when do you play what and how do you play a certain shot? And, and so often when he was hooked off the court, he was going for, for a winner and a kind of a ridiculous position that we could see from the outside, but maybe he could see, couldn't see in the moment. Uh, there was one particular point that um, I remember highlighting a few times on my notes where it, it was 30 all um, on the, the Runa serve. And uh, he he did the right thing. He built to the Rublev backhand. He came up the court, but instead of just waiting for the ball and putting that volley away, he had to jump up and try and slam it down in the air. And he slammed that into the net. And it's just points like that, where it's, it, it, it's not even like a technical thing that he needs to work on it. It's just a, a current lack of maturity that you would expect from a 19 year old. I mean, it, it's kind totally. of crazy to me that he's still that young. I did a double take when I, when I checked his age again the other day, I was like, whoa, you've been around for a while. You know, he was junior number one. He came through pretty quickly. Uh, so, so I think 
Yeah, that's always a tough question to answer because as a tennis player, I, I think he can, as as his ranking suggests, easily live with the best in the world right now. He was my dark horse. He was my the, the player I thought had the best chance of troubling Djokovic prior to the final. But yeah, there's a I, I think the the work now is on the mental aspect and just his a tactical assessment of matches and, and when to produce what because uh, yeah, that's that's definitely the next step forward for him, I think. Yeah, so much room for growth there. And and he hopes that the Alcaraz thread will continue. If this was his Berrettini loss, then he's in for a, a big sunshine double. Uh, let's there get to these quarterfinals. And uh, we'll start in the bottom half just for fluidity, since we just talked about Rublev. Monday match analysis coverage of the Australian Open is brought to you by BetUS. For this year's AO, play with America's favorite sports book and get $125 extra on your first deposit using the link in the description and the promo code GILL. Uh, Rublev versus Djokovic. Andre, I, I dropped earlier that he's been to six major quarterfinals. Trouble is he hasn't won a single one. He's 0-6. Uh, uh, the Djokovic head-to-head is 2-1, two, two lopsided meetings at the ATP finals. And then Rublev got him in Belgrade when Novak wasn't in great physical condition, and he gassed out in that one. Uh, but I, I think everybody kind of knows that Andre usually doesn't really have enough in this spot. What do you think is the area where where he's most lacking in this kind of matchup? The return, based on based on what I just saw against Holger Rune, he, he was he's giving too many cheap points there. And my my thoughts at the time, because I, I I'm sorry, I already knew that Djokovic was going to be Alex Dimonor. I think we all knew that. <laughs> Maybe even Dimonor knew that a little bit. Uh, but watching that. I, I was thinking, so so what can Rublev actually do if he comes through this to trouble Djokovic? Because he cannot out-rally him, and we were seeing him taking, well, I don't think he can. I mean, obviously, he's beaten, beaten him on a clay court, whatever form Djokovic was in, so that's something for him. Uh, but he, he was kind of taking the pace off against Runa, and I, I was thinking, well, Runa's still winning a lot of these rallies, you know? So so I don't think he could out-rally him from the back. Um, I, I and I don't think that he could out return Djokovic. He's he's one of the game's greats when it when it comes to the return. Um, and uh, I yeah, I, he just w with the the second serve returns that he was missing against Runa. Some of them because of the the placement and the kick from Runa, but others because he he just wasn't there for that moment. Um, that that's a big setback, really, really in this matchup. And I've, I've almost forgotten your initial question, Gil, because I, I go on random little tangents here, and uh, there's a lot happening at the moment. Uh, but I, I think really, when, when I'm measuring up these two, the only thing that I think Rublev could maybe do is outserve Djokovic. If he can go back into that loose feeling of freedom, then there there is that potential to kind of uh, stay with him and build confidence off the back of that. Uh, but it's a ridiculous task, isn't it? I mean, Novak Djokovic, the nine-time champion in an Australian Open quarterfinal, as complete as he is, and it is scary to me watching Djokovic at times because there, there were moments where you you used to think you could see an opening, that, that overhead smash, for example. He's tidied that up too. So so a lot of it is depending on, on the level that Djokovic brings to the court, as poor Alex Dimonor found out last night. Yeah, the hamstring was good, and uh, that's a big yeah. deal. My, my read on the hamstring is that he has just accepted, okay, I need to take painkillers, anti-inflammatories, which is something he he will be the first to admit he just does not want to do, does not want to mm -hmm. take anti-inflammatories. And it, it seems to me, because I know he was taking them mid-match in the first couple rounds, now uh, I just think he's getting ahead of it, and, and that's why it looked so much better. 
It's my read on the situation. It's a little bit speculative, but at the same time, I'm going off stuff that he has said. Um, by the way, I agree with you on Rublev. Return and defense. So I would guess like Djokovic's oh. first serve want win percentage, I think 80% or above in this match, if I were to guess. Yeah, I've been looking at um service win percentages actually for for a lot of the a lot of the finalists and uh finalists, quarter finalists. Where are we right now? But no, Djokovic is consistently higher. I I think because he doesn't necessarily have the biggest serve, I've I've always felt like that is the most overlooked factor of Djokovic's game because he's so complete. Um, people are talking about the backhand and the movement, but and the serve kind of gets lost amongst it. He is so good at finding his spots when it really matters and keeping the opponent guessing as well. He, he's clutch with that serve. And I think that Rublev's really going to struggle in that department in terms of that return uh, could well be the biggest differentiating factor of the clash. Yeah. Uh, Shelton versus Paul, the other one on the bottom half. This is Ben Shelton's first trip outside the U.S. Could you imagine? I mean... I just, I'm thinking about that, right? Like if you tell your friends or you're 50 years old at the bar and you're like, so where have you been? Oh, I didn't travel much until I was 21. Uh, I went to Australia. I made the quarterfinals. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Tommy Paul has kind of been building up to this. He had a good year last year. And uh, I my first instinct was just Tommy Paul. Like he's done a lot more on this tour. That's the pick. Uh, and then... I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I'm like, psychologically, Shelton has zero pressure. I don't see this guy being like, oh, I'm so nervous. I've never been here before. I mean, I just don't see that. And his game is is quite captivating. So I'll I'll tell you what my deciding factor is in a moment. But that's why I'm I'm actually giving Ben Shelton a good chance here. Yeah, I he was my instinctive pick coming into this. And then I stopped myself and thought, but hang on, you just did whatever you just did with Runa and Rublev. And Tommy Paul is the man with the more experience here. So you've got to factor that in. Uh, but at the same time, uh, like you say, you know, Shelton, this is all kind of new territory for him. So there, there's that. Um, and with him, the college background and everything, there is, I think, that adds the sensation of, little to lose a lot to gain it does probably shift here because the draw is so open and it's for a grand slam semi-final this was an elusive stage for so many for so long because of the dominance of the big three because of the dominance of those guys at the top that a semi-final at a grand slam was just a no access zone for most players so it's a huge huge opening um, but I, I just think that I, I was courtside what feels like yesterday watching part of Ben Shelton's first round match against it. It was Zhang Zhen, I think it was in the, in the first round. Mm -hmm. I was uh, really curious about that one because two guys that have recently been on the on the ATP Challenger circuit. And uh, that was where Shelton was most troubled. He went down the wire to the, the final set tiebreak in the, in the fifth. And uh, he was really feeding off the energy of his team. I wonder how much he'll be able to do that in a bigger arena. But then he'll also have the energy of everyone else to feed off. And I think coming from the college background with that environment, naturally, that is something that that you can kind of thrive off and build on. And uh, with his game, that's such a huge game anyway. Um, I, I don't know when you wanted to get to the technical aspects of this, but I did look at a couple of numbers on this one just sure. to work out what, what might decide it. Um, ben Shelton's second serve win percentage is kind of insane that like he he's kept that well above the 70% mark in all of his matches 
is I, I think that's right anyway. But wow. um, what, what's the lowest percentage in terms of, okay, so, so his lowest win percentage on the second serve is 69% which is that that's massive numbers for the second serve and i i think that because obviously a lot of these guys now you cannot get to the top of the game if you do not have a decent first serve if you not do not have a pretty big first serve so we can we can nail that down like all of these guys are serving well but how's your second serve? That's what is really making a lot of difference. And I think that's a huge reason why Ben Shelton, even though he went um, down the wire against JJ Wolf, did not have his serve broken in that match, if I am correct. He he was not touched in that department despite yeah. losing a couple of tie breaks. And uh, yeah, that I, I mean, he, he's a lefty, of course. Anyway, he's got all these great aspects to his game. And, and the second serve is a huge weapon right now. It's really helping him in those break point tough situations in the score on the scoreboard. And uh, that's going to make returning life very difficult for Tommy Paul. And uh, I, I think Paul himself, that was more of an opening in his last match against, um, who did he beat? Roberto Bautista are good. He, he, his second serve was kind of penalized a little bit more, but because of his staying power at the back of the court, he was able to extend those rallies beyond the point where the serve and return were factoring as much. Now, I think, I'm not sure how much RBA had left in the tank after that Murray match. That took a lot of mental and physical energy. So I'm not taking anything away from Paul, who I think is much improved in all aspects of his game over the last couple of years, um, has added a little bit as well, more confident up at the front of the court, solid backhands. Uh, but I just think that Shelton's key weapons are bigger and uh, that second serve jumps out at me. I think that could I think that could win this match for him. Yeah, those are incredible stats and, and they weren't on my radar. So so thanks for that. Um, no worries. You know, I, I, I just go head over heart here and um, I, I look at Str Paul's path. He beat Struff. He beat Davidovich Fakina. He beat Brooksby and RBA. I mean, it's it's really really impressive, especially the the weapons and with, um, well, Brooksby RBA, you have consistency, ADF, you have athleticism and power, Struff, you have huge weapons. Shelton's kind of played a similar kind of player a bunch, but you know, Zhang, as you mentioned, Nicholas Jari, Alexi Popperin, and JJ Wolf. Uh, but uh, Paul has had a, a tougher path. So, uh, as all of these things are like gut Ben Shelton, I'll go head Tommy Paul. Um, let's go up to the top half now. And we have another experience versus inexperience. Which way are we going to go on, on this one? Hachinov uh, against Korda. And uh, I actually think the experience does become a pretty big deal uh, in this one. Um, it's easy to get kind of sucked into the prettier game. I think that Korda possesses. And he's going to be someone that people are going to kind of ooh-la-la -la over whenever he's playing you know, his best tennis because it is... Uh, absolutely gorgeous, and I don't know, if, like if you if you ever look at at the odds, but Korda's uh, the favorite here. I don't think he should be. Um, Hachinov was. I, I... Go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, carry on. I want to hear what else you have to say, and then I'll chip in. Yeah, I, I mean, Hachinov was just in the U.S. Open semifinal. We've seen Korda have a lot of issues holding on to leads, and yeah, to his credit, he's been very, very good at responding to those blown leads and you know he's he's pulled through but first set medvedev third set medvedev super tie break Herkoc, like he's getting tight a lot of donations there 
And uh, I don't think he gets away with it against Hachinov, who I just have zero concerns with mentally and physically. And that's another thing. I mean, Hachinov is so, so fit. Korda, I think he's in the best shape of his life here in 2023, but he's had some issues there. Uh, and I think this is a match where at the end of it, we look at the unforced error count and Hachinov has a big advantage. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I let you finish there because you essentially said what I was going to say. I, I think Sebi Korda, um, in terms of the range of what he has to offer as a player, is incredible. And uh, there were moments against Medvedev particularly that were just breathtaking. The serve, the volley, the touch, the backhand slice, the way he can mix that up and give you different looks at the ball. Um, I also didn't feel that Medvedev mixed it up as much as he could have done in, in terms of, I remember he managed to turn it around a little bit against Felix Auger-Aliassime. He did start slicing a bit more. He did. It, I'm talking last year when he was two sets to love down in that situation. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was a different Daniil Medvedev than this year so that was always going to be a little bit different uh but the key thing was um Sebastian Corda is a player who traditionally has had trouble closing out big matches he's we look as recently as Adelaide against Djokovic you look back to when he played Rafael Nadal there at the beginning of last year and there were chances to close clear chances and he clearly tightened I feel like Medvedev's biggest issue in that match, despite the fact he's still heading towards his best, was that he started too slow. He started too slow in each set. He started too slow in each of the tie breaks. And therefore, Korda had time to find his footing. And similarly against... Um, who did he play last? Help me out here. You've literally just mentioned um, it. Who did he yeah, beat? Yeah, it was... Why, why am I blocking now? Hercotch, Hercotch. Okay, so that's it. Poor Hubie Hercosh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, yeah, again, in that final set tiebreak, he went out to an extensive lead. Hercatch started pulling it back. And yeah, he did well to handle those tight moments at the end. And that was probably big for him. Maybe that gives him a rush of confidence that it got close and he closed it. But again, he had time just to work through that tightness and get across the line. Now, I, I think, again, he has more in terms of options to bring to the table than Hashanov. But is he as mentally and physically fit? as his opponent for this encounter. And uh, yeah, I think there's a big question mark there in that department, despite what he's done so far. So I I've predicted against Karen Hashanov a little bit recently and, and not it's not gone well for me. I might have been giving TFO the slight edge in that match when they faced off. So I, I'm not sure that I would be ambitious enough or confident enough to do so again. Uh, therefore, I'm not sure I'll make an outright prediction on this <laughs> one, but... Um, as much as I'm convinced by Corder and would love to see him go further and capitalize on what I, we've been seeing purely on the mental aspects and closing out the match, I think I think I'd start to lean towards Ashanov. Well, if we're wrong, we're both wrong. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. My my gut my my gut on this one was saying Corder, but I I just feel like with the the Runa Rublev situation, I didn't factor in the mentality enough, and there are signs that Corder could have been more troubled than he has been if that scoreline had been closer. I think Hashanov can keep it closer. He's well-rounded. Yeah, and I think we so often see in majors when the draws open up, it gets so mental. I think the most famous example is U.S. Open 2020 when uh, Djokovic uh, gets disqualified and everyone's like, oh my God, what? There's, there's no Nadal, there's no Djokovic. And a lot of the matches were, were so mental. Um, in terms of just nerves being very, very crippling. So I think, you know, it's it's something that will always kind of happen. All right, Titi Pas Lahechka. 
Yuri has had probably the best run out of anyone on the men's side, beating Nori, beating FAA, beating Chorich. Uh, you could make an argument for Korda with Herkoc and Medvedev, but uh, Lahechka, that's three wins that I don't think a lot of people were expecting out of him. Uh, I'm not really sure what his weakness is, but at this point, my mentality is I I'm not going against Tsitsipas. I mean, I've been so impressed with with, first of all, just his focus that I actually thought was missing a lot last year, or not a lot, but at times. Um, I mean, at the last major, he loses to Daniel Galan, and I, I haven't felt any of that fragility from Tsitsipas, and he's he's playing the right way on his backhand. The serve is great. The forehand is enormous. I'm very high on him right now. Oh my days. I've been so impressed with Sitsipas. I feel you a hundred percent because other places I, I have so much Sitsi doubt. I don't even know if that's a, a thing, but I've just made it a thing. And uh, I, like you say, at, at the US Open, I remember watching that match and I was a little bit shell-shocked, like what's happened here? Um, and I rated Sitsipas and what he has to bring to the table for a long time. I think that we can kind of overlook the fact because we're so into what's happening across the season. Sitsipas Tsitsipas has had some of his biggest encouragements here, uh, for example, when he beat Roger Federer here previously, and uh, these are conditions that he's he, he's always really kind of thrived in. Uh, he made the semifinals last year, it only took a red-hot Daniil Medvedev to stop him, and the biggest thing that's impressed me about Tsitsipas is the way he plays at breakpoints down, the way he plays when he has something to lose. Boy, does he step up and produce backhand, forehand, serve, return. I don't care. Like he, he's nailing those points that are of the most importance. And that was something that I noted when in his very first round against Quentin Elise, who is a player I've been following for some time, expecting to break through sooner than he has. I wandered across to Margaret Court's arena because it was tight in the third. And I thought, OK, well, traditionally, in more recent times, this is where Sitsipas could win the match in straights, but he maybe goes to a fourth set. So let's see what happens here. Um, down set points at the back end of that match, steps up, big forehand winner, just, just took the game on. I think there was some kind of ridiculous passing shot in there as well. And that was when I thought, OK, this guy's serious. And the way he can lock in and produce in that moment very very impressive um i don't think too much about the fact that he lost those third and fourth sets against sinner just because he was able to pull it back together again when it really mattered he knew the moments that he had to be really present in that match and he produced in them and credit to sinner tactically with his position all of these different things he adjusted and he made sitsapaz think a little bit more he got in his eye line he he made him more uncomfortable and should be given credit for that but sitsapaz should also be given credit for how he was able to ultimately come through at the back end of the match when suddenly the momentum was against him he'd lost two straight sets and and in in terms of his composure he was able to stay with it so i i think in terms of that big moment brilliance as much as Leheshka is hitting a big ball and ha has done really well to manage himself he has also been pushed in most of his matches and i i think that yeah, you, you've got to go with Sitsipas here. Credit to Leheshka if he has a, a big upset and, and can really kind of get on top of Sitsipas and stay there. But that's a big ask over best of five sets. Yeah, absolutely. Leheshka dominated Felix in the, the rallies in their matchup. It's going to be a lot harder to do that uh, against Sitsipas. I completely agree with your assessment of, uh, of the match against Sinner, too, where I don't think there's a lot of negatives to take away on Steph's side of things. You have a busy day ahead. Uh, you're doing a tremendous job. Uh, I've loved getting to listen to you on, on AO Radio. 
Uh, so uh, I will, uh, I'll let you get to it. And I appreciate taking the time. Gil, thank you so much. I wish I could have given more time and been less pressed for it. Um, I respect your work and everything you do and your knowledge of the game. Uh, you're, you're great to have as a presence in the, in the tennis community. So thank you for everything you do. And thank you for having me. Thank you.